Hi, and welcome to the second episode of the Abraham Watkins podcast, where you can find out more about what's going on at AW and where you'll hear some in-depth conversations about the personal injury industry. My name is Jeffrey Atkinson, and I'm the social media marketing manager here at Abraham Watkins, and I'm excited to introduce this new episode of the podcast. On episode two, we will have firm partner Brand Stogner as he is interviewed by the Motorphilia podcast with Daniel Poe and Aaron Smith as they discuss legal advice for auto accidents. There is some great information discussed throughout this interview, and we hope you enjoy it. Kind of a, you're kind of a zombie right now. My brain is fried right now. Yeah, well, you, you never do any work around here, so I don't know why. <laughs> I sleep, and then things happen, and I go back to sleep. Yeah, I, I think you're like the Shaquille O'Neal of, of Motorphilia. You're just a pretty face. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal. Would you even buy a car from you? I don't know. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Motorophilia Podcast. This is Daniel Poe. I'm here with Aaron Smith, as usual. Uh, Andy Bryan is sitting across the table, grinning, blushing, because he loves to be mentioned. Uh, he's the magic behind all the beautiful audio you hear. I'm so excited about the, today's episode. Let me let me let me shift gears real fast. I am tired, but no, I've been doing auctions all day. Yeah, I've been, and and so I'm I'm just kind of. Blah. It's a well-earned exhaustion. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine. I'll get over yeah. it. And, and for those of you who have never been to an auto auction, believe it or not, they're a lot like what you picture. There's a guy just talking gibberish, and instead of a cow sitting there, it's a car. Imagine speeding towards the wall at 150 miles per hour and having to make decisions on how you want to do everything and hoping you can hit the brakes right at the exact moment so that you are one inch from hitting the wall. And, and, and there's also 50 other people driving toward the same point on the wall. And and you do that over and over and over and over again. And the mental exhaustion, because it, it requires incredible quick decision-making, it, it, it taxes you. It yeah. does. Um, anyways, you want to get our, our part? Well, you know what? We should do uh, our jingle, or the new one we just did. Oh, did we Did we come up with a new jingle? Yeah, it was. Uh, I think we were working on one that was a little more uh, Baroque- uh, polka, Mexican Tejano, uh, house techno with a Taylor Swift twist. Well, I, I think what we're doing, we have to get some clearances before we can really do that one. Oh yeah, that's but that's that's when we actually had had written. So from, if you can just imagine that it was an amazing intro song. It was so good, um, probably the, the best intro song in history. I think that the the Mongolian throat singing was probably <laughs> the most moving part of it for me. Imagine that part in Dune where they're doing that weird kind of singing thing, but they just do it with a little bit of a Liza Minnelli kind of razzle-dazzle cabaret thing up at the same time. And there's like a theremin below all that and maybe some wax paper combs. Oh, it's like, well, it's like one of those, like, a, a, those, uh, those things where you're like hearing rustling paper and it's relaxing at the same time. <laughs> but at the same time, I was begging a gong. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, have a call we're going to jump right into with Brant. He's from Abram Watkins, uh, the oldest law firm. Uh, the oldest uh, personal, injury, personal law injury law firm in Houston. Incredible people. Uh, we reached out to them as we were researching some stuff about insurance uh, earlier. Uh, we actually set this up with them. They were incredibly responsive. We're so grateful for uh, for Brant and his team and his law firm. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna break into this. What we're gonna talk about is what to do when you're in an accident, what you need to know involving an accident, because this will be a very very critical point 
when it happens for you to know up front how you're going to handle life. And and when life comes at you a thousand miles an hour and you're moving to that wall and everything's speeding through without having a prepared mind, bad choices could be made. Mm-hmm. So this is a time for you to sit back, listen, and have an enter into this conversation we had with uh, one of the partners at this law firm, uh, Brant, and, uh, and, 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 and hear what he has to say. Yeah, let's get to it. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, can you just uh, tell us your name and who you're associated with? Sure. Um, name is Brant Stogner. I'm a partner at the law firm of Abraham Watkins in Houston, Texas. It's the oldest personal injury firm in the state. Uh, I'm one of the partners and I'm board certified in personal injury trial law. Thanks for contacting us. Uh, we love to know that, uh, that you know we're getting an audience. <laughs> and uh, we also love to know that uh, people are really interested in building on what we're trying to do over here. So, so we just appreciate your expertise and time. So um, yeah, so we're talking about um, about car accidents, and that's definitely uh, muddy water, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, it's definitely not the time where a lot of people are thinking clearly. And so by getting kind of your ducks in a row ahead of time and knowing what to expect and just kind of what the protocol is can help you you know, can help people make those decisions in the heat of a moment like this and not be too hasty and, and trust, you know, uh, incorrect sources or, or anything. So, uh, so let's just start. What steps should you take immediately following a car accident? Well, no, to answer the first, there's a lot of misinformation out there and there's a lot of uh, neighbors and brother-in-laws that, that'll tell you what to do. But bottom line is if you're in an automobile accident, the first thing you should be doing is checking on yourself and those in your car with you, right? First and foremost, is somebody hurt badly? Uh, and what is it? Uh, so you're going to first and foremost, take care of yourself and those in your vehicle. You're going to want to contact EMS. If, you, if somebody's hurt badly, you're going to want to contact the police department. Obviously, you want to get them out there. Uh, what you'll often find is if the other vehicles at fault, the driver will approach and say, hey, let's try to keep the cops out of this. Let's do this informally. And that is a bad decision if you accept it. Uh, it I've never seen that go smoothly after the fact. Uh, and then what you run into is a proof problem. But the first thing you want to do is check on your folks, clear the scene, make sure we're not going to get hit in a subsequent accident, which happens all too often, believe it or not. So if we need to clear the vehicles to the shoulder, if we need to exit the highway, uh, do what you can to get your vehicle in a safe place, assuming it's drivable. Um, and then you need to go into evidence collection mode. And what I mean by that is names of those involved, numbers, insurance policies. Are there any witnesses? Uh, what will happen is there'll be folks who'll pull up to you and say, hey, are you okay? And they'll drive right off. And some of these folks, when you say yes, yeah, some of these folks may have seen the accident and you need to get their names and numbers in the event later you need to contact them as a witness. Uh, so that's part of evidence collection. You're going to want to take photos because your vehicle may be towed off. It may be uh, in an auction yard and you may never see it again. Uh, later, we're going to want to know what the what the impacts look like. And, and if we're going to tell the story uh, to a jury trial, uh, we're going to want to be able to show them the photographs. Right. Um, and so basically, I think evidence collection is key. Um, you want the cops to come. You're going to need a crash report that gives us the dates, the times who was involved, and it's going to give us the officer's opinions initially on what he or she thinks was the cause of the accident. It's going to have insurance information. It's going to have service information if later we need to sue somebody. Uh, it'll have their addresses, their Texas driver's license number. That allows lawyers after the fact to do 
full-blown accident reconstruction allows us to to obtain driver records and, and see whether somebody should have been behind the wheel at all those types of things everybody's phone now does video uh, so what do you think the value of also adding the you know video documentary uh, actually getting video uh, evidence of, of people who saw and having them recorded on the on the site would that be also an assistance absolutely I've, I've got a case I'm working on right now that's heavily disputed uh, where my client uh, was rear-ended by an 18-wheeler on a rural road at about two in the morning and it ended up sending him careening into some guardrails back and forth and now um, there's there's a dispute as to what happened, uh, not surprisingly, but our client got his video phone, his camera phone out and recorded uh, at the scene where he was with mile markers when he was impacted, which guardrail he hit. And then after the fact, our accident reconstructionist experts who would have had a very difficult, if not impossible time without that video, were able to go back and utilize that video evidence and recreate the accident. Uh, with very good specificity. So it, it's absolutely, the more the better. Uh, the thing with video, I would caution, is, is make sure you're careful what you're saying on the video. We've seen some some bad things come out of that, whereas photo can be, you know, be worth a thousand words. Uh, video could end up being um, worth much more, but it could also cost your case, depending on what is said on that video. So yes, yes, Aaron, what, absolutely. Video. What do you think about also the value of people having uh, on-car recordings with video? That seems to be more popular these days. I think that's the wave of the future. And we're already seeing that in commercial vehicles, right? So I can't tell you how many times uh, we're representing clients who get rear-ended by some type of 18-wheeler, box truck, bobcat, something like that. And a lot of these commercial fleets are equipped now with dash cameras. And so when we file suit um, and we go out and do an inspection on the vehicle, we see the dash camera. One of the first things we're asking for through discovery is I want the video. Um, and, and that video will show us what the defendant driver's viewpoint was, you know, they're going to claim, Aaron, or they may say, hey, your client stopped short suddenly on the highway. Well, here we go. We've got a video showing that's not what happened at all. Our client stopped because traffic came to a stop in front of him or her, or, or they say they stopped short on the highway for no reason. And yet the video shows, no, our clients are proceeding through a construction zone, slowing down in accordance with the law. And so those types of things, when you get the dash camera video, it's typically for me from the defendant side. However, uh, I think that is the wave of the future. You're going to see a lot more passenger vehicles that have that. And, and the more, the merrier. It's going to get us closer to the truth. Um, it may hurt some folks on their cases who are fibbing, uh, not quite telling the truth. But the bottom line is it's going to help us all get closer to what truly happened. And if our clients are telling the truth, I want my hands on that. Okay, so why should someone talk to an attorney following a car accident? Well, first of all, uh, this is probably your first, maybe second, and if you're unfortunate, more than two car wrecks in your life. But an attorney who's, um, who handles car accidents, for example, or board certified in personal injury trial law, they handle that daily. So although my law firm handles drownings, electrocutions, explosions, everything catastrophic, a large part of our caseload is, and I think will, will always be, the automobile docket. And so that involves trucks, that involves passenger vehicles, but, but that's the bread and butter of a lot of personal injury firms. And when you go with somebody who's got experience in this, we've seen it all. Uh, what we can do is we can provide you with advice early and strategies early to help you get the maximum compensation for your vehicle, for example. Which body shop, which insurance policy should I put this on? Those are all concerns um, that are going to be happening initially. Who should I speak with? Should I be speaking with the insurance company for the other side? Should I be speaking with mine? When? 
Uh, how much do I tell them? What do I provide? What is required? See, all those things that, you're, that the, the typical person off the street doesn't know that, but your attorney certainly should. And your attorney, at the end of the day, a personal injury attorney, 99.9 of us work off a contingency fee. So that means we don't get paid unless we win and we take a percentage of what we can recover for you. So our goal is for you to get a billion dollars and live a thousand years, right? Right. And so yeah. we're 100% aligned and our goal will be to help you navigate the process and get the best recovery you can because it makes, it helps us. I mean, I'll be honest, it allows my firm and my business to make more money that we can take home to our families. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's why ultimately the main answer to your question is going to be because they're going to get more money by involving an attorney, 99 out of 100. Right. Okay. And just to follow that up. So when should you contact an attorney following the wreck? So that depends. The folks I deal with are injured. If you're not injured, uh, you may or may not need an attorney. You can contact them immediately. They can help you navigate the property loss portion of your claim. But if you're injured, the first thing you need to do is get medical treatment. Now, do your, do your evidence gathering at the scene. But a lot of the clients I deal with are being strapped onto backboards uh, you know, with cervical collars attached. Mm-hmm. So in that scenario, if you have other occupants, have them do the evidence gathering. But I always tell my clients uh, or a potential client who calls, you need to get treatment first before you start calling us mm-hmm. um, for many, for a host of reasons, right? Obviously, we want our clients to get the treatment they need. But if someone's looking at this after the fact and you find out that, that the injured victim called their lawyer before they called, before they saw any medical provider, it just doesn't look good. It's a bad look, right? right. Mm-hmm. And so what we always say is, look, we're not going to represent someone if the accident happened three days ago, they've seen nobody, but they're calling their lawyer first or calling a lawyer first. We would tell them on the phone, look, go get medical treatment if you're in pain. Call us afterwards. We'll be happy to speak with you. We'll talk about the diagnoses and we'll go through it from there. But they really should call a lawyer early in the case, mm-hmm. but not before they're getting their medical treatment that's needed. So on 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 the uh, on the heels of that, uh, one of the things I'd have to say is that when an accident happens, one thing the police will do is they'll say, would you like an ambulance to take you to the nearest hospital? Uh, and now a person could seem fine, but it's a traditional question asked. What should a person say when, it, when an ambulance is offered? Well, this is going to be one of those things at the scene. If you're on the fence on it, take the ambulance ride. And here's why. If you're having any pain, and, and we know this to be true. Someone gets involved in a major accident, the adrenaline gland kicks in. And your body tightens up, your, your muscles will protect the spine, um, you'll end up spasming. And, and when we look at you on x-ray, you'll have a loss of your lordosis, meaning the curve is gone. So what that tells us is your muscles are compensating for you. That's a natural response to get all of us humans out of a dangerous scenario. But if you're feeling tightness, stiffness at the scene, rest assured, you're going to be feeling very bad in the day, two days, three days. So if you're feeling that, take the ambulance ride because it's going to help your personal injury lawyer later tell a story of a serious accident. We see it all the time in our cases. The defense lawyer right out the gate when they're deposing my client, you declined the ambulance ride. You must not be hurt, right? That's the implication they would like. Well, it's not always true, but if we can defeat that implication by going and getting checked out, even if, you know, what are they going to do at the emergency room? They're going to check for blood and guts and they're going to check for broken bones. And so it's going to be CT scans and x-rays. Let's hope nothing's broken. Uh, but it helps us later prove the severity uh, of this accident that you needed help at the scene. 
I think one of the apprehensions people have, and maybe you can address this, is that I think people are very afraid of incurring medical costs on themselves, and when they take an ambulance, of them being out of pocket at that time and uh, and the emergency room visit. And I think some people start thinking about immediately, like, well, how much is this going to cost me, even if they're not at fault, and, and the likelihood of getting reimbursed on this. So, I mean, how likely would a reimbursement happen if this did, if this was the case? Well, it depends, right? So if you're at fault for the accident, you're not going to get reimbursed by the other driver's liability policy. Now, you may have personal injury protection on your auto policy, which is no fault coverage, right? Um, in the state of Texas, you're going to have $2,500 uh, unless you rejected it. You may have 5000 you may have ten. Uh, but what that coverage does is it covers your medical bills and your loss of earnings in the event you're in an auto accident, whether it's your fault or not. And it's there for this very reason. You've been paying for it. So whether you're at fault or not, that PIP, personal injury protection, will be available. Now, if the other driver's at fault, there's a high likelihood you're going to recover the cost of whatever that medical treatment is at the emergency room. And I hear it from my clients all the time. Hey, you know, I didn't know if this would get reimbursed. I don't have the money. We're working paycheck to paycheck. And we are very uh, sympathetic to that. But the bottom line is, is you have to incur these costs on you. And then we seek reimbursement through our claim or through our lawsuit. I think that that, that is one of the, the problems is that you deal with, you know, I'm sure you've run into people who are very financially vulnerable. Um, you know, I mean, you know, you have the wherewithal. It doesn't really matter very much if you're in an accident. You can cover and move forward. And, and But, I mean, it's, it's these people who are living paycheck to paycheck and who may not have health insurance coverage and who are dealing with, with very, very, uh, uh, you know, uh, drastic uh, life decisions to make at that exact moment. Uh, and you mentioned this PIP coverage. Um, is that something that they would talk to the insurance company about, about actually having that as, as a writer or an addendum? Can you talk more about that? Absolutely. So there's, there's, what I often find in my business dealing with auto accidents, everybody knows about liability coverage. That's what's required. Everybody goes out and pays for it. But that's insurance that protects others if you cause damage. There's two portions of your auto policy that most folks don't know about, but I'm talking about all the time. One is UMUIM insurance, that's the underinsured, but you're asking specifically about PIP, stands for personal injury protection. And you get UMUIM insurance and PIP insurance when you buy an automobile liability policy. It comes with its standard, unless you reject it. And unfortunately, what we see is some people, a large percentage sometimes, are rejecting UMUIM coverage and PIP. And it only saves them $26, $30 on their annual premiums, but then leaves them naked in the event they're injured due to somebody who has no coverage or somebody who has insufficient coverage, or God forbid your whole family's in the car and you've got 200,000 in medical bills and the at-fault party has 30, 60 policy, which is the minimum in Texas. So 60 per accident, 60,000. So they're uninsured or underinsured. And so to me, it blows our mind that people will save 30 or $40 in annual premiums um, and not protect themselves and their own family members. And so it is a, it, it's, it's standard. And, and believe it or not, you can increase this through the roof. You can get a million-dollar UIM policy. Um, I've seen USAA offers 100000 in PIP. Travelers offers a big PIP limit. And so what that is, is if, if your folks in your car are hurt, even if you're at fault, you can tap into that PIP coverage and they will reimburse you and pay back uh, what you've paid to the hospital. But the hospitals have gotten clever. They're aware of PIP and UIM. 
And so a lot of their admission records are actually making you assign your benefits under your own auto policy to the hospital to cover the medical treatment. And so that those forms you'll find when you're signing up, they'll literally you're creating a lien where the hospital can bill your auto carrier and take your PIP money. But that's fine because that's the bill you would have been owing for. It's almost like if you have health insurance, almost a double coverage where you have you have another safety net to, to have, be a stopgap as well. That's exactly right. And here's the really cool part. You can recover under PIP and still recover full damages against the at-fault party. The at-fault party does not get any credit for anything you received on your no-fault PIP auto policy benefit. So think, do the math. The guy causes 100000 in damages to you. You've got 100000 in PIP. You get fully reimbursed. Uh, through your medical bills and lost wages up to 80%. Then you file the suit against the bad guy, the at-fault party. You can obtain the full 100000 from the at-fault party as well because that's what you've paid for. And the bottom line is the defendant gets no benefit from the premiums you've paid for that specific coverage. And, and on the heels of that, I have one other question, and that is I've seen people when they pay off a car completely, they for some reason think, you know what, I don't need insurance really anymore. And maybe you've seen this, they automatically just reduce everything to liability only to strike out all, off everything. And I've seen this over and over again where then there's an accident and then it's like, and now? It's a really bad idea. Um, if you're getting insurance solely because you know, the lien holder or the bank uh, is requiring you to do so, uh, you're really missing the point of what insurance is there for. So you've got the state law that requires you to carry liability. But I recommend everybody carry collision coverage too. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to protect you if you're in an auto accident and you're at fault and you need to get your vehicle fixed. Mm -hmm. uh, you definitely want to carry PIP. That's the no-fault coverage that'll be there for you even if you're at fault. And you don't have to prove anything other than I incurred these medical bills and here are my earnings. Uh, and then probably the most important uh, is your UM, UIM insurance. And I say that because that's the underinsured, uninsured portion of your auto policy. We're in Texas, right? We've got probably the largest percentage of uninsured drivers, particularly down here in the Houston area where I'm at. We see it all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, catastrophic injuries and you get hit by some guy who has zero coverage. So what do you do? Where do you turn? This is where your uninsured, underinsured motorist coverage will kick in for you. Essentially what it does is it forces your auto insurer to step into the shoes of the bad guy and handle your damages against the bad guy or bad girl, the at-fault driver. And so this protects you. And so it blows my mind that people will carry liability coverage to protect others, but will, 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 will uh, re uh, eliminate or reject UIM coverage that protects them and their family. And I've looked at some people's binders in the past uh, from time to time when they've done this liability only. They don't save that much money in their, in their premiums. No, you're getting rated based on the liability policy, right? So we're mm -hmm. talking about you save, you know, you might spend $1,300 on your annual premium, but by rejecting UIM and PIP, you save 30. Yeah. You're still paying 97% of that policy and you've just wiped out one of the best protections you should have had. And so it, it, there's no value whatsoever in rejecting PIP or UMUIM. And it blows my mind. And every story I've ever seen is a sad story where they, they, they leave our office going, man, I sure wish I would have kept that coverage. And we always say the same thing. We do too. Yeah. And, and so just to, to clarify, let's just clarify uh, the, dis the difference between UM and UIM. Sure. So UM stands for 
uninsured motorist. So this is where the person that hits you literally has no liability policy, nothing whatsoever. UIM is underinsured motorist. They're used interchangeably because at the end of the day, they're going to kick in the same way. And this is when you get hit by, let's say, somebody who has a state minimum and you're by yourself. And let's just, you know, for round numbers, you've got a $100,000 case, but the guy that hits you carries 30,000. So you're able to obtain his 30,000 limits through either litigation or demand, but you're still owed 70,000, right? Your damages were 100, you were able to recover 30. So where do you go? That's when you turn to your own auto insurer and you say, look, here's my settlement. I received 30,000. I have a $100,000 UIM policy, pay me my 70,000. Now, believe it or not, they don't just fork over the money, uh, but at least it's there and recoverable. And so you, the way it would work is you go try your case, you put on your evidence against the bad guy, he's at fault, my damages are 100K, if the jury believes that and awards 100K, then the, you, all you have to do is turn and send your judgment to the auto insurer, Now you have to add them to the party, and now they're gonna pay you that $70,000. But at the end of the day, they're, they're really the same thing. It's when the bad guy has no insurance or has insufficient insurance to cover your damages. Now, the problem is, is what are your damages? And just because I say they're 100,000, the other side may not believe me. So unfortunately, right now under Texas law, you've got to go prove your case. And so under my scenario where you've settled before a trial with the at-fault driver, and now you're telling your insurer, hey, you owe me 70 grand, they may disagree and think, hey, you've been fully compensated and we're all scratching our heads. They're going to force you to prove your case. So you file suit against your insurance carrier. They step into the shoes of the at-fault driver, and hopefully they'll see the light before trial and, and reach a settlement that everybody can live with. But if not, you go put on your trial, your insurer gets to contest liability and damages. Um, believe it or not, it's a strange scenario when you're, you're in trial against your own auto insurer, but that's the way the state of the law is in Texas right now. And you've got to bring them into the case for them to be bound by the judgment. But that's an additional avenue to get recovery. And I can't tell you, in all of our auto cases where there is UMUIM coverage, we're almost always suing both the at-fault driver and the insurance company at the same time. Because we know, we know our damages are going to exceed the at-fault driver's coverage. So we might as well have everybody at the table from the start so this thing moves as swiftly as possible. How often in your working with injury cases, you see that injuries show up with a certain kind of latency, like the, they never notice anything in the worst week or two, but then there is something that has now been linked to that where, you know, it is like a, a back problem, a spinal problem, neur neurological problem. And you can see that it was literally kind of a, you know, there was a causation uh, correlation happening where it's like before accident, nothing after accident. Now this person is, you know, having a seizure. Uh, or yeah. something like that, and it's it's it, and you know and and that's developed over time. How do you how do you account for those things if it's something that you start discovering as you have a case put together? As you can imagine, it, it's difficult because what is the other side going to say? So the defense in our cases are going to always say, "Wait a second, this was not uh, something complained about right after the accident." This and they don't know. They're, this may have been a slip and fall at his house. He may have been out playing basketball and injured himself, or you know, whatever. They come up with all these things. They're speculating. Where, where we see it most is with soft tissue injuries, right? So someone's injured in a, in a rear ender uh, or a side impact T-bone. They get taken to the emergency room. There's no fractures. They're hoping they're going to feel better. They know the next three days are going to be bad, but they're hoping they'll feel better. Um, it starts to get real bad. It starts to get a little better, and then they plateau. 
And then slowly over time, it gets worse. And we know that because when you herniate discs in the spine, uh, it's not uncommon. In fact, it's very common that as time progresses, as your muscles, remember we talked earlier, the muscles are spasming to hold everything tight in the spine. As that wears off, now you start to feel the nerve root impingement. Now you start to feel that disc that's herniated, that's sitting right on an L5 nerve root causing radiating pain down your leg. Um, that happens all too often. Now, where we see it really happen is in polytrauma. So you may get taken to the hospital with a fractured arm, a broken tibia, uh, low back pain, neck pain. Well, the brain is going to focus on the most severe injury that's causing the most pain. And as we start getting those addressed, either through surgery or injections or various therapies, as we start to resolve your leg pain, we start to resolve your arm pain. Next thing you know, what's really bothering you is your low back. We start to address that, then the neck. So it, it, it's a phenomenon of the human body. I remember someone saying, it's, it's like, uh, someone, I remember a guy saying once, if you have a headache, stub your toe and you'll forget about the headache. Right, stick the nail in your shoe, right? <laughs> right, and it's like, it's like so yeah, we can only focus, so polytrauma, I guess, in definition is, is it's multiple injuries at one time, but we can only focus on one element of pain at one time. Would that be? Right, and the brain will typically focus on what's most severe. I mean, you can have a, a broken arm and I can walk up and start stabbing you in your, in your pinky toe, as you mentioned, or your big toe, and that's going to take over. Ultimately, that will be the signal that the brain is picking up. And, and we know that, right? Because there's things like spinal cord stimulators out there that it's a, it's a therapy for some people who can't get back uh, pain alleviated through surgery. They'll get a, a, a literally spinal cord device inserted that tricks the brain by confusing the signals that are being sent from the injured body part to the brain. And so uh, we do EMGs, you know, nerve conduction velocity studies on our clients all the time to try to objectively establish, hey, we've got impingement or we've got radiculopathy. We've got a nerve injury here. And people say, well, wow, why is my arm going numb? Well, believe it or not, it's because there's a nerve root that's emanating from your neck that's now being pinched against your uh, foraminal wall by a herniated disc. Well, that nerve root innervates your arm. And so the doctors through various diagnostic imaging and testing, they're able to trace these back and a large part of what we deal with in automobile accidents are going to be spine injuries, predominantly neck and low back, uh, less so often the mid back because it's supported by the rib cage and the sternum. So it, when, it, another thing, I guess, going along with this is as, as progression of injury can, has to be traced, how important is it that not only is the medical medical uh, attention is given, but people go back for follow-up service like a, a few days or a week later? If you don't go back, the assumption from the other side is you resolved. And, and you know, fair or unfair, right? You may have other things going on in your life. We hear it all the time. They call it gaps in treatment. Hey, you know, Aaron went to the hospital, got checked out, but then he doesn't treat with anybody for four months. So he must be fine. And then if all of a sudden treatment starts ramping up, it makes our job a little more difficult uh, to explain what's going on, but it doesn't mean it's not legitimate. And so if you're being ordered to follow up, you should follow up. <laughs> and, this, and, go, and going back to people who are uh, fear, in fear of being medically crushed by, by these bills, this is why PIP and UM and UIM are so important because it is, it, this is becoming billable related to that event. And, and so it's, it's its own case. Would that be uh, exactly accurate? Right. So, I mean, what I would tell my clients is, look, you never want to skip healthcare or worry of that. If you've got a good case where you're not at fault, 
we're going to be able to get a recovery, particularly if you have the, the, the insurance available. But you're hitting on something we talk about all the time in my office with my associates. When we get a case early, and this is kind of goes back to what you asked earlier, when we get a case early and we file suit early, I can very quickly figure out the world of coverage. I can figure out that the defendant driver has 100,000 or a million or 5 million. I can easily get my client's auto policy and figure out here they've got 100,000 in UMUIM. So we know how much coverage is out there and it helps us advise our clients on how aggressive to be. Um, you know, if there's a $10 million liability policy on the 18 wheeler that rear ended you and you need to get all these things done, we're going to get everything done. There's plenty of coverage available. And the last thing you want to do is create a gap or create some type of skepticism in your case by refusing to treat um, when there's plenty of coverage. There are other scenarios though, where, where we get in early and we see there's only 60, there's a 30,000 on the liability, there's a 30,000 on the UIM. Then we help the clients, we, we help advise them on how best to get the treatment so that they can take all the money and keep as much in his or her pocket as possible. And I think what the, going again, people make decisions based on finances. Uh, as an attorney, when you're dealing with these cases, is there usually a retainer involved or, or how does that work? Well, that's the good thing for our clients, right? Somebody comes to us, there's zero retainer involved. So like in my, and this is pretty standard, right? It's not solely limited to Abraham Watkins law firm, uh, but we work on a contingency fee, right? So we don't charge our client unless we get a settlement or we get a verdict and we take that money out of the new money that's coming from the other side. In addition to that, we're going to front all the expenses of litigation. And you'll find most PI firms that are established will do that. I wouldn't hire anybody who doesn't. But what does that mean? That means I may go out and spend 20 hours of my time and spend 5, 10, 20 grand trying to develop this case. And if we go to trial and lose, not only does my client not owe me anything, that $20,000 I spent on experts, documents, getting this thing ready, we eat that. Now, that's the gamble we take. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the front end, we're choosy. We don't take every case that comes in. We try right. to pick winners. We pick cases where we can add value. Um, we, you know, If it's a 50-50 case where we're not quite sure who's at fault, if the damages are catastrophic, we may take a, sh- a shot at that. Uh, it just depends. So the bottom line is they shouldn't worry about litigation costs if they're with a reputable firm uh, and they're not going to have to worry about attorney's fees. There's literally no downside. And if they rack up a bunch of medical bills along the way, the folks who don't have the wherewithal and don't have the insurance coverage, believe it or not, they're probably judgment proof. And you don't see too many hospitals filing suit against former patients. It's just not something in my experience I've seen. Because even if they're successful, you know, Texas is a debtor-friendly state. Unless you've got a second piece of real estate, they're not going to be able to recover. So the, at the end of the day, I know it sounds bad, but they need to get the health care they need and worry about payment later. And they're probably not going to be on the hook for it anyway. Right. And... Uh, as far as the the medical side of things, uh, I guess just and this feels pretty obvious, but why is it important to follow your doctor's instructions for aftercare for treatment following the accident? Well, Daniel, think about it like this: if 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 you're my client and you're sent to an orthopedic uh, spine surgeon, he sends you out for an MRI on your low back, comes back and you're on your follow up and you're learning. Unfortunately, you've got multiple herniations. Uh, that are sitting on nerve roots, which is going to be problematic for you. And your doctor says, hey, um, I don't want to recommend surgery just yet. I think you need to try these injections. Or, hey, I think you need to try this bout of specialized therapy. And you choose to ignore that. 
And then later, I'm, and your treatment drops off and you say, Brant, let's, let's close this case. It's going to be awfully difficult for me to argue that, that those herniations, which are objectively found on your MRI, are actually causing you problems because you're not going to get the treatment. And the argument that the defense lawyers make in every case is that you're lying or you're exaggerating. That's their whole defense. Um, and so, you know, that's just the way they're trying to sell that to the jury. They're trying to think, make you look like you're overreaching. And so if what, you, what you're going to hear is, well, if he was hurt, he would have gone and got the injections. If he was hurt, he would have gone and seen the doctor. And, and that's, it may not be true and it may not be fair, mm -hmm. but the bottom line is that's a story that, that the jury is going to latch onto. And in state court, I've got to convince 10 out of 12 jurors, um, more likely than not, on each question submitted. And so the defendant's looking to pick three of them off. Because if he can do that or she can do that, I've lost my number. Mm -hmm. And so it's important, one, for your life, because you've got a doctor telling you to do it. Two, it's important for your case. Uh, this may be your pre-existing injury for the rest of your life. And this is your chance to get it all taken care of. And you've got a liable party to get reimbursed from. Mm -hmm. So it makes no sense. It's not a scenario our clients wanted to be in. Uh, but if you find yourself there, you need to follow your doctor's advice, lest you be um, crucified later uh, as not being hurt. And you may sit there and say, hey, I couldn't afford it. And those may fall on deaf ears, those arguments. So our belief is, look, we're not doctors and we never pressure our clients to do something they don't want to do. Mm -hmm. But if I've sent you to a board certified neurosurgeon who specializes in this and she says, you need to get this done, when you're on the phone with me, I'm going to say, look, you need to get it done. Yeah, I, I think obviously I, I, I just love the fact that, that you're, you're uh, harping on, on the medical side of it first. Um, I think another thing that people go into these situations thinking is if I talk to a lawyer, all they're going to want is to take my money. And there's uh, and and maybe in the rare chance there there are you know some crooks that you'll run into, but for the most part, you know it it's just as much of your concern that the client be well and healthy. So moving along with this, before we get too far out of the insurance category, because that seems to be a very important crux of this conversation. Uh, not all insurance companies are the same. No. Um, no. Now I don't know if you're liberty to discuss any names of any insurance companies that are less uh, less likely to be ideal for people to have. I don't, um, mind, I don't mind telling you what I think. <laughs> I would love to hear who is probably one of the worst companies for people that hey, you've dealt with. The worst that jumps into my mind right away is an insurance company we deal with on liability claims called ACCC. And, um, I can't remember what the acronym stands for exactly, but you'll be able to easily look it up. It's A triple C. And it seems invariably when they're in, first of all, they're insuring, they never write in a policy over 30 K. So it's going to be, you know, immediately it's a small policy, kind of like a Fred lawyer policy. They make it a nightmare. You must have another name in there too. Yeah. yeah Fred lawyer. Uh, the Fred lawyer policies are very similar. Mm -hmm. And what it means is let's suppose you happen to have one of those policies, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, You've got a you've got a A triple C policy and you cause an accident. They're going to go out of they're going to do nothing to prevent you from getting sued. They're going to offer the injured party less than their medical bills, zero for every other category of damages. So you will most surely get sued and they don't care. 
and you'll get run through the ringer on a case where it should have been handled with insurance money and you should have never been served. You should have never been deposed. You shouldn't have been hauled down to court. So ACCC routinely gets their insured sued because they don't make any attempt to adjust the claim Mm -hmm. pre-suit. Now, the converse of that would be Texas Farm Bureau. So Texas Farm Bureau is a policy, is an insurer that I like because they go out of their way to get the claims resolved. And remember, we're adversaries. They're trying to protect the person who caused the accident. They don't want them to get jammed up, sued, have to worry about personal money being involved. So Texas Farm Bureau goes out of their way to resolve claims early so that we're not even in litigation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that kind of takes some of the fun out for me as a trial lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it, here's, here's the loss. Okay, here you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but remember, if we're working on a contingency fee, sometimes it's not all bad, right? So we, yeah. we make our money on our reputation early on a quick, on a quick turnaround. That's fine. Um, but what it really does is for that insured, right? The, the at-fault driver over there was able to get the claim resolved against him or her swiftly, smoothly, and, and it helps my clients too. So my clients are you know, made whole much sooner when we're dealing with Texas Farm Bureau. There's others that are good too. Some of the mm-hmm. bigger specialty ones like Chubb, Pure, um, those larger ones that we'll see on, on, um, on bigger policies. Are, mm-hmm. and, and then within the commercial world, there's a whole different category of insurers we deal with, right? Right. Uh, you know, National Indemnity Co., some of the ones that handle your big trucking companies. And so, but you're probably asking for your, for your listeners, that's more your, your traditional passenger yeah. vehicle operator. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a quick game with you, real quickly. I'm gonna name okay. some insurance companies. Just real quickly, just say, let's go with uh, on a scale from one to ten. Ten being fantastic, one being just uh, ack. Um, <laughs> so, like, let's say progressive. Well, Where would you probably, go? Progressive is probably a six. We're having uh, a fight with them a lot, and 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 it depends, right? These things go in cycles. Mm-hmm. If Progressive has a good regional manager who wants to get aggressive and resolve claims, there may be a period of two or three years where things are going smoothly. Sometimes mm-hmm. they hire some new manager who's overseeing all claims in the Gulf Coast region who takes a hard line and says, hey, we're going to force everybody to try their cases and prove their damages. I'd say Progressive is kind of middle of the pack right now. State Farm. Uh, four. They're, they're not, they don't go out of their way to get the case resolved. Geico. Not the same. Wow. The big US, boys are all not the same. USAA. Uh, more of a six. They'll, they'll, I think they do a little better job for their insureds, but but I don't believe they go out of their way anywhere close to like Texas Farm Bureau does. So we're often suing USAA, uh, particularly in first party claims. So when we're <laughs> that's when it comes time for us to bring our own UMUIM claim, we're often having to sue USAA. I'm only hitting the big ones I've seen people use as insurance policies. Last one, Safeco. Uh, Safeco is not bad. I'd say they're more like a seven or eight. Okay. All state, wow. all state. I would, you didn't ask about all state, but I'd oh. throw them towards the three or four area. All really? State, yeah. But they, they say you're in good hands. Well, <laughs> <laughs> we laugh about that. Uh, it's just like State Farm's like a good neighbor, and it's like really. Uh, yeah. What, what neighborhood are they in? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> depends on. Yeah, I mean they don't shoot you. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> I mean, no, the big boys traditionally aren't as good. They're fantastic right. on their marketing, mm-hmm. and they'll tell you, you know, they'll spend a ton of money on their commercials. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is to me, what makes a good insurance company? If mm-hmm. I, if you're my carrier, and I'm, and I'm paying you premiums, what I want is you to resolve my claim as quickly and as and and least intrusively to me as possible. Mm-hmm. And these insurers, we've learned, 
They're all about collecting premiums and denying claims. What's and funny is uh, that's why we have so much business. But yeah, who um, who who do you have as your insurance policy for your car? I use Vault. So uh, Vault V A U L T, and it and it's a bundle group that does my home, all my autos. Um, I like them. You get a package, but it, they're in that vein with Chubb and Pure. Okay. And I believe uh, you know Pure was folks breaking off from Chubb, and then Vault was folks breaking off from Pure. And so they're trying to do it a little bit differently, and mm-hmm. uh, and, and I like the way they handle claims, which is why I, I jumped over, and that's why I use them. God nice. forbid, I, hope I never had a, a yeah. Claim. <laughs> we'll do a fall, but he's like, no, never mind. Vault wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you you also touched on uh, a little bit earlier, you know how some of these companies are counting on you not to do something. As a matter of fact, it, you know, there's some businesses out there that. Uh, their way of business is making it inconvenient for you to use their service. And yeah. so is that um, is that what companies like the general and, you know, some of these like very like lower tier. Yeah, that's exactly uh, what they're doing. And, and you see it. You're like, how on earth can they insure folks who can't get insurance anywhere else for 39 a month? Mm-hmm. Well, the, re- the reason they can do that and stay in business is they're not going to pay your claim. Right. They're not going to pay it at all and they're going to get you sued. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, they may end up paying out a little more money in judgments. But if they do the math, if they do, you know, 100 people, they do them all the same way. Maybe five will lawyer up and get overpaid, but mm-hmm. the vast majority will get underpaid and they'll come out ahead. I mean, they know what they're doing. They run their algorithms. I mean, it's the same reason State Farm had that shingle memo blow up in their face back after Hurricane Ike, right? So there was the memo that came out basically saying, we're not going to pay on lifted shingles. <laughs> you, can't, you can't decide that before you've looked at the roof to see if the shingles were caused by wind-driven rain, right? Wow. But yeah. they figured it out that if we deny all these claims, we'll actually come out ahead financially in the end. Because, yes, we're going to get hit by Steve Boston and some of these other big-time trial lawyers who are bringing property loss claims. But that's a small percentage. And we'll mm-hmm. overpay them but we'll make it up big time on those that we underpay. And they're counting on people who won't get a lawyer or distrust a lawyer uh, or who just trust the process, trust their adjuster. And so right. I, I guarantee it, guys, these guys, these are billion dollar companies. And the reason they are is because they collect way more in premiums than they're paying out in claims. That makes all the sense in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, they're basically preying on, on people that they know, you know, maybe only feel like they can afford those cheap ones. You know, I can say with first right. experience with uh, Farm Bureau, we have them for our home policy. And I've never had an accident where I've had you, but I tell you with the home policy, they've been fantastic. I mean, I can imagine. Yeah, I, I just, I think highly of them. And there's some others I'm feel I'm sure later I'll, it'll pop in my head, but they jump out to me as being the most aggressive. Well, and, and doing a job. Well, we're talking about the divining line between, let's say, poor services and excellent services. We need to go with your own field, which is attorneys. I mean, there's got to be telltale signs of when you're dealing with just not a very good attorney. There, I, I don't believe all attorneys are good. Um, no. I think I think some are. I, I, I have I've literally met with some attorneys. I'm like, I I don't know how you pass the bar. <laughs> I don't know if you, I mean, like, I, I don't understand how you do anything you do, but I don't think you actually function as an attorney, though you have the name. And then I have thumbs, I'm like, you're amazing. You- yeah, absolutely. It, it's like anything else, right? You know, our, one of our slogans that we're using at our firm this year on our marketing campaign is who you hire matters. Okay. Um, 
there's, you know, every, and this is what blows our mind is every personal injury firm in town is charging a similar fee as us, right? Mm-hmm. It's a third. We charge a third if we can get your case resolved pre-suit. We have to file your lawsuit, take it to trial. It's going to be 40%. Um, everybody in town is charging that. The same exact percentage. But they don't have the same quality of lawyers. They don't have the history in their law firm. They don't have verdicts. Some of these folks have never even tried a case, but yet they're getting their hands on cases. And so absolutely who you hire matters. And you could take the exact same set of facts and hire somebody who has no clue what they're doing uh, and you get a $100,000 result and you hire someone who does this for, uh, for their living on a daily basis and board certified in it, you may get a million dollars on the exact same case with the exact same coverage. Well, I think, I think, well, I think the experience, uh, the advice you get from experience does matter uh, mm-hmm. because I mean, I've, I've listened to people as they've gone through certain things. And I'm like, I can't believe your attorney advised you to do that. Or they would settle for just, just an absolute nominal amount. Like the first thing out of the, out of the gate, they're like that. And they didn't cover, didn't cover any of the loss. It, it put them in the hole a lot. And I mean, it might've helped lessen the blow, but they were still, you know, substantially out of pocket on a lot of problems. And that's the stuff that blows our mind. Right. And so if you think about it like this, why do, why do the defendants pay a settlement? What are they avoiding? They're avoiding the jury trial. Yeah. And so if you hire, and I, I use this analogy with my young lawyers, I say, look, we're like the Vikings. We are showing up at your castle to storm it. And the reason you're going to settle with me is you're going to come out and treat with me. You've got to put enough money here for me and my client to not storm your castle. Mm-hmm. Well, we would rather live with this amount for sure than take our chances with 12 jurors. Now, and why would, what scares the defense? Is it a lawyer who's never tried a case, who doesn't have a law firm, who doesn't have a line of credit, can't afford to bring all the expenses, can't hire all the experts, doesn't know the experts, mm-hmm. or a law firm that's been around for 70 years, everybody's a trial lawyer, they've got the resources to go for three years, They're, we don't have to take the first offer. If we have to loan our clients money to keep them, you know, out of, off the streets, because as you said earlier, this becomes an asset that we've put time and money in and it's something we're going to protect. And so the bottom line is we want to make sure if we have to loan the client money to live another year so we can get the value of this case up, we will do it. The worst thing that can happen is they hang the meat low and our client because of financial constraints, you know, untied to the case has to take the money. I mean, that seems to be what a church company sometimes, I think, uh, lean towards is to be able to uh, strong arm you into a rushed decision uh, due to inconveniences or financial problems or, uh, you know, or, or just, you know, it's like, I need to settle this and move forward in life, you know, and I think a lot of people do feel that way. Um, so what would be, and uh, this is a really kind of off the cuff question, but what would be kind of some of the, just think of like off the top of your head, like three telltale signs of a shady attorney in this business? Uh, well, one, if they're showing up unsolicited, that's right out the gate. Why are you here, right? You're sitting in a hospital bed and all of a sudden some lawyer comes walking in. You didn't call him or her, and yet there they are. Mm-hmm. That's probably telltale sign one. So somebody along the way has greased, you know, is getting greased, and that lawyer is now showing up. Tow truck driver, ambulance operator, maybe your nurse. Um, but that's called case running. It's illegal in Texas. Um, it's unethical under our rules. We are not supposed to solicit clients. They're supposed to come to us. Now, obviously, the former client, I can reach out if I've heard something's happened. But what I can't do is reach out to a stranger or show up. That is called baritry. 
and it is a crime and it's and it can get you to lose your law license so if they're doing that that should be sign number one is that the uh, proverbial ambulance chaser that is that's exactly what it is and some of these folks are paying to look at crash reports that are coming out every day and reaching out to those who are involved and they're crossing their fingers that they that they don't be caught others are, are utilizing people along the chain like i said tow truck drivers ambulance and they're getting tipped off call this person um and so that's not the way it's supposed to happen right that's telltale sign one telltale sign two is when they're putting documents in front of you and they're making trying to make you sign them immediately without explaining them without giving you time to think about it right that's problematic um, and in the personal injury world, if they're trying to tell you that they're going to make you pay for the expenses or that you need to pay for uh, medical records or things like that, that's a telltale sign that you're dealing with someone who does not have the resources for this fight. And what they're going to do is they're going to cut and run at the first offer um, based on their own business issues rather than the client. Uh, and ultimately, we're supposed to represent the client. And if you don't have the expertise or the financial wherewithal to do it, then you really shouldn't be doing it. Um, but we see it all the time. And sometimes these cases come to us after the, the prior lawyer has been fired and we're like, wow, this thing got screwed up. And we'll do the best we can to bake the cake, but we've got bad ingredients. And mm -hmm. so um, those are the three things I think from the personal injury world I, that, that would raise red flags for me. How did they find me? They show up unsolicited. They're trying to force me to sign documents without explaining or giving me time to read them. And three, they can't afford to finance my case. Um, and those are all problematic. And there's other things that would come up down the road, but that's the stuff that would probably hit them in the face early. Mm -hmm. I'd, I don't know why anybody, if you've got a good case, wouldn't hire a board certified personal injury trial lawyer. There's a whole, mm -hmm. you know, yes, you talked about some lawyers, how they pass the bar. Well, there's these, you know, you can get board certified to show your specialty and it's another test and it's very difficult. And you have to have references from judges, from defense lawyers. You have to show that you've actually tried personal injury cases. Not just 10 one-day car wrecks, but significant different types of cases. And the examination covers everything, not just car wrecks. And so to me, it's like if I'm going to get my brain operated on or my spine, I'm going to a board-certified neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. Why on earth in Houston, when you've got thousands of lawyers, would you ever hire somebody who's not board-certified? Yeah, but there's a guy in the corner who knows my cousin who uh, who does it really cheap in the alley. And I mean, that's right. That's right. He's, a, he's a friend of a friend. How bad could it be? Yeah, exactly. And that's unfortunately, people are so twisted up following some of these incidents that they just go with the first thing. They don't do any research. I mean, there's would, you, a, would you hire a doctor who's never, uh, would you hire a brain surgeon who's, you're his first brain surgery? Is he my maybe cousin's not. friend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe in that scenario. But that's my, that's what I tell my clients. I'm like, why on earth? You know, and I know every brain surgeon had to operate on somebody the first time. It just ain't going to be me. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, everybody's a brain surgeon if they want to be. I mean, yeah. how good you're going to be is very different. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, kind of getting back to some of these basic questions, I really like that we tackled some of that, uh, some of that more detailed stuff up front because I think some of those, uh, those things are, are what people aren't thinking about. Uh, right. Getting deeper, but just as far as just kind of um, just process, uh, kind of getting back to some of that. So, um, what is the difference between like what what should you do differently if the crash is your fault or if the crash is the other driver's fault? Well, if it's your fault, first of all, you probably I mean, this is an attorney giving you advice. Admit nothing at the scene. Obviously, don't go. Don't come out of your vehicle saying, "Hey, it's all my fault. I'm so sorry." Just say nothing. 
mm-hmm. um, answer the questions that from law enforcement when they arrive, exchange the information, uh, but don't sign anything and don't, uh, you know, don't, don't be on a camera admitting anything, right? Because your insurance company is going to handle your defense and uh, there may be some things you're not aware of, right? Uh, right. So that's what I would say there. Now, if you're, if you're not at fault, do the things we talked about earlier. Um, make sure you're getting your health care, you're getting help for those in your vehicle, evidence gathering. Uh, see if you can't get the other side to admit they're at fault. The other side, hey, I, I, I missed that stop sign. Get them on video if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, because later, I promise you, when their defense lawyer gets the case, they're going to have a very different story. And it's very hard for that defense lawyer to overcome the video from the scene where, yeah, I ran their stop sign. Because now later it's going to be, oh, sun was in my eyes. I was having emergency. Um, my brakes didn't work. It'll, I mean, everything you can think of will come out of the, the woodwork. So if you can get it, get it. Um, there's, you know, then what, right? Then what do you do? Is your vehicle drivable? If it's drivable, get it off the road quick. If it's not, get it towed somewhere. If you have collision coverage, I tell all my clients this. If you have collision coverage, put it on your own auto policy. But why should I do that, Brant? The other driver's at fault. Why would I put it on my own auto policy? Well, here's why. By putting it on your own auto policy, yes, you have a deductible, but they're going to get to you quickly. They've got to treat you fairly under the Texas insurance code, and you have remedies available if they don't. Now, if you want to put it on the other driver's insurance policy and you don't, or you don't have collision coverage and that's your only option, um, it's not going to go as smooth. They're going to move slowly. They may or may not put you in a rental. They may want you to use their body shop. Uh, they may dispute that some of these damages weren't caused in the wreck. They may take two months to do it. What is your remedy? File a lawsuit and wait 18 months for a jury trial on it. So it, you're going to always get your property damage covered much sooner if you have collision coverage. Oh, and by the way, that deductible you're out, your auto policy, who's now writing you a check for, say, 50 grand for your brand new truck, uh, they write you a check for 50, for 49 They hold back the $1,000 deductible. You're now at least able to go get a new vehicle. They're going to go hit the other driver's auto insurer and get their money back. Mm-hmm. They're not going to just eat that loss. So they're going to get their money back as long as the crash report and the evidence shows you're not at fault and you'll get a check in the mail for your deductible. One of so, the things... So one of the things on just on the, on the subject, we talked about in an earlier podcast, and this is a just minor little thing is that uh, we've been finding more and more because the car market's so weird uh, that people are getting paid out on insurance deductibles that aren't even enough to cover the car to replace the car they had. And if you're seeing that a lot, their total loss settlement ends up being less than they owe on the vehicle, right? Where you, where you see this occur most often is with newer vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. Because the depreciation moves so much quicker than your note. In other words, you drive the 100K or the, let's go 50K car off the lot. It's now worth 43 the moment you drive off the lot, but you still owe 49.5. So well, you've this got is, cap insurance, right? That's well, what this, that is, this is actually something, this is a weird phenomenon we've seen over the past 18 months. It's not depreciating. So like right now, let's take just something simple, like a 2021 Corolla. It has a sticker of 24,000. The wholesale value of that car is 32,000. Amazing. And, and this is the weird part that makes everything really weird in this era because of shortages of cars. And this is what we talked about in, in, in the early podcast is that this I've never seen before. But like a, the 2018 valuation of cars right now, a 2018 vehicle is worth more than you paid for it in 2018. That's amazing. Right. Uh, well, here, let's go back to what you I mean, if, if someone totals your vehicle, mm-hmm. what are you entitled to under Texas law? 
you're entitled to the fair market value the nanosecond before the collision. So if your Corolla is worth 32 on the open market and you can prove it, theoretically, that's what you ought to be able to get through your settlement. And that's and that's actually uh, insurance companies have what's called an appraisal clause where third party appraisers come in because what insurance companies have been doing is they're using a program instead of actually using fair market. They use a program based on what people have been willing to settle for in the past showing that fair market, but that's not the fair market. That's what they convince people they can settle for. Mm -hmm. And so you can actually go and have a third party come in and, uh, and, and work that out. And we uh, actually, one of my buddies is an attorney in Dallas. His Escalade was stolen. His insurance company offered him $20,000 less than his car was worth. And uh, we just kind of assisted him on something like that. And we got him 20 grand more than the original settlement. So he could actually just replace his Escalade. And, and that's asset. You got him fair market value, right? Yeah. Because uh, Texas law says fair market value. It doesn't state based on insurance company's algorithm. Right. And that's, and that's, so that's where the reason for the third party comes. So what they use, they use a program. I don't know if you've seen this. It's called CCC. And mm-hmm. if you ever see these come through your client to see a CCC valuation, it's actually, you'll look, there's no VIN numbers, no vehicle sales, nothing. It's a settlement that was based over an 18-month period of time that somebody agreed to on a similar vehicle, but it's what they agreed to, not the actual value of the car. That's right. And we look at it all the time. We say, no, 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 no. We, you know, first of all, property damage at my firm, we're not going to take a fee on because right. it, it really takes care of itself most of the time. Uh, so we assist our clients in getting their property damage resolved. Uh, but in that scenario where they're in a fight with their own auto insurer and they feel like they're not getting a fair market value offer that, that, that's up to snuff, that, that, that actually reflect, reflects true fair market value, there are experts we've put our clients in touch with who do auto valuations, um, who will do appraisals on the vehicle and basically state, here's what this particular vehicle was worth right before this accident based on market conditions, mm-hmm. not based on your computer. Now, it doesn't mean the insurance company will agree. But good news, if they don't agree, you can file suit. And if it's your own carrier, you can get attorney's fees if you prevail. If you can prove that they were, that they were unfair in their settlement practices, um, you can get attorney's fees on top of your damages. Uh, you may be able to get uh, double or triple damages if you can prove it was done knowingly or intentionally. So those are all the things that come in play on your own auto insurance. Now, when you're getting treated unfairly by the other drivers, so we call it third-party liability insurer, mm-hmm. is offering you a crap, you know, pardon my French, but a bad offer. Mm-hmm. There are no duties, though. They don't owe you any duties. You can file suit against their insurer, prove the damages are higher, they'll write the check. So that's why I say when you're dealing with the, with the liability carrier for the other side, they can lie, cheat, and steal for most part. There really aren't any uh, duties that the Texas Insurance Code uh, prescribes for third party. But when you're dealing with your own carrier, You've got a whole host of duties that come up and you have great remedies that just aren't there on the other side, which is why they know that you're going to get a much better settlement on your collision coverage than you ever will on a liability third party claim. So to reiterate, it is advisable for you to file the claim on your own policy because your insurance company will have every incentive and they have the means to then go after the other insurance company and they become the bulldog and they have way more teeth than you have. That's right. And think about it. If they overpay you, they're going to go get their money back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas you might not have been able to convince Allstate to pay you 32000 on the Corolla, but you were able to convince uh, Texas Farm Bureau to. Well, Texas Farm Bureau is going to go over here and make their case against Allstate and get their money back. And you're going to get your deductible in the mail. So long as it's clear liability, right? Now, if it's a 50-50, they may only get half their money back. Mm-hmm. But through your collision policy, they still have to pay you 100% of your damages. Got it. So, yeah. And that's what you've paid premiums for. 
right? You've spent thousands of dollars over the years for this very scenario. Yeah. And so, but my clients have a fundamental, like existential, uh, like crisis when I tell them, you need to put this on your own care. Like, wait a second, I wasn't at fault. And I say, I know. And then I have to have the same discussion we just had. And then right. they get it. And then, and, then and they, they, but then there's, again, if you make decisions, it's always going to be financial in the end. They, right. they, I think their fear, and the fear is, but it'll hurt my, my insurance premiums. Yes, I hear that all the time. Oh, and it gets worse. Uh, I don't want to make a PIB claim. I don't want to make a UIM claim. It'll make my premiums go up. And I go, wait a second. We're going to get $50,000, just for example, and you're worried about your premiums going up 100? You know, <laughs> if they, first of all, you're not rated for being at fault for this wreck. So they can't, under the insurance code, re-rate you for this wreck. But if you think they increased your premiums because of it, switch carriers. Because it's not going to be a rated uh, loss for you. You'll get a good rate with the next carrier. And why on earth would you pass up $50,000 to try to save $100 in premiums? I mean, you know, this isn't like 50 years to catch up. Yeah, I, I think that I think people there, there's a lot of people tend to be very fair minded. I think that's how people naturally want to be is to be fair minded. Um, and uh, I think that people sometimes don't understand the gravity of the loss they've actually incurred until well after the fact. And I think that's probably a good thing for you to frame as an attorney, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So you don't, what you think your damages are, are simply the tip of the iceberg. You know, you're thinking about medical bills. You're thinking about lost wages. You're thinking about your vehicle. I'm thinking about your pain and suffering, your mental anguish, your disability, your impairment, and potential scarring. And all of these are recoverable under Texas law. And in reality, when my clients are hurt, uh, the biggest aspect of their case isn't the medical bills. It's usually the how they're feeling and what they can, what they can no longer do and how they can no longer play with their children or can't walk anymore. So really, those non-economic damages, in my mind, are much larger and more human and, and, and really what I'm after. Yes, I want to cover their, their medical bills and absolutely want to cover their future medicals and their loss of earnings. Absolutely. But too many people focus solely on the economic damages and miss the human aspect of what's going on with our clients. We're, we're going to be coming close to the end of, of this uh, this thing. I, it's we've t- You've taken a lot of time out of your day. I really do appreciate it. Uh, the no way I actually found your firm was I was investigating uh, a term called bad faith. I'm an insurance company drafting in bad faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know this might be within some realm we're talking about, but can you talk about uh, when insurance, what, I think it was called a bad faith settlement I think is what it's called. What, what, what would that be as a bad faith settlement? Would that relate to well, what we're talking about here? It can. And where it's going to come up is in your first part, in your own auto insurance, right? So we talked about it. What, what bad faith really means is it encompasses a whole bunch of things. Insurance code violations, unfair settlement practices, a breach of the duty of good faith and fair dealing. But those duties are only owed to you by your carrier. So where you see it a lot and where, where it comes up more often than not, is in a hurricane, right? We've got, we've got catastrophic damage to a whole bunch of homes or a business. And you file your claim with your insurance company and you've, you've hired a roofer who comes out and look at it and says, look, you've got to, we've got to replace your whole roof at 150 grand. Well, the carrier comes out and says, no, 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 it's a patch job at about 15,000. And you say, wait a second, that's not what my roofer's saying. You might even hire an engineer who says, oh no, we've got structural damage here caused by wind-driven rain. This is a covered loss. And they're telling you it's 15,000. And that's that. Well, I believe at that point in time, they've committed bad faith. If you can prove that it truly is a $150,000 loss caused by this named storm. 
So what you would do is you would file suit against your carrier. You would allege bad faith, unfair settlement practices, underpayment of claim, denial of claim, uh, delay of payment of claim, all those things. The statutes lay out all sorts of violations. And what you would be doing is you, and then you would seek to prove your damages. And then, you know, a judge or jury would get to hear your evidence. They would get to hear the, the insurer's evidence. And if they agree, uh, our, my position is, is if they are, if, if the jury awards money over what you offer, I've got you, you've committed bad faith. Now that's kind of a tough spot for the insurer to be in. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've heard from some of them, but where it would come in on what we talked about is on that first party auto policy with regard to, uh, your, your collision coverage, or let's suppose you bring a UIM trial, you prove your damages and your carrier doesn't write you the check. Uh, well, then that, now they've committed bad faith. They're, they're, viol they're violating chapter 542 of the insurance code, and they're going to owe you attorney's fees when you sue on that. You owe me 100000 Now we're not going to pay you. I'm suing you for not paying. I want my attorney's fees, and I want the 18% penalty for the delay in payment. And so bad faith really encompasses a whole host of unfair settlement practices, but it doesn't, and I hear this all the time, you know, I got hit by this guy. They won't pay for my car. His insurance won't pay for my car. I think it's bad faith. And I have to tell them, look, there is no bad faith for third-party coverage. You have not proven your damages against the bad guy. His insurance company is trying to adjust it and make it go away for him or her. But until you prove it, it's just your word against theirs. And they can literally say, no, it's one cent. And even though you know it's a $10,000 damage claim, well, the mechanism that exists under our Seventh Amendment Go to a jury trial, prove your damages, and at that point, they have to pay you if they have a contract with the guy you just hit for a verdict. Would that be something that your firm would handle, or would that be a, a different specialty for something like that? We deal with, you know, when, when Hurricane Ike hit, we handled a ton of bad faith cases. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, residents, uh, commercial businesses. I've handled, you know, some from Rita back to hurricane, um, you know, we didn't do as much with Harvey because that was more flood damage, which involves the national flood insurance program. So now you're dealing with the federal government. We've kind of moved away from those first party type claims, but yet in the auto context, they're always going to come up. They're always going to come up. And we got, we got some help recently. Um, the Texas Supreme Court basically came out and said, you know, attorney's fees in a first party case can be recoverable at the judge's discretion. So that the thought is, is maybe the insurers will play a little more fair because if they know we can hit them for not only what they owe us, but plus our fees on top, they might be a little more fair on the front end to avoid that. that makes um, sense. Yeah. But yeah, we do, we do bad faith and, and in certain circumstances, you know, if it's a large commercial loss, we'll certainly get involved. Um, but the day to day is not dealing so much with property damage. What we deal with is people. But Danny, you, if there's anything you want to finish, finish the no, I, I think we've covered a lot. I mean, we could, we could sit here all day and ask the, the you know, little questions on little questions, but um, I think in your answers, you've covered a lot of ground, especially things that I would say that the typical driver and accident victim isn't going to think about in the moment. Um, right. you know, I would hope they would listen and, and, and be prepared, right? It's going to happen. And according to statistics, we're all going to go through one or two in our life. Um, you know, that scares me to death as a father of three. But mm -hmm. it's, it's going to happen, right? And we need to be prepared for it when it does. And, and God forbid, you know, you're hurt bad, but that's what we're here to help with. And there's people who've done this and we can help navigate this. And like I tell you, know, look, I told my associates to say, look, we're in the job of helping people and making money. It's dual. Mm -hmm. So if I have a young associate who comes in and is a bleeding heart, I just want to help people. 
well, you're going to do a fantastic job here because you're going to make us a ton of money. Because as you're helping people obtaining the most they can get, we're going to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I have some associates who are the opposite of the other end of the spectrum. I just want to make a lot of money, Brian. That's fine too. Because for you to make a lot of money means you've done a lot of good for your clients. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really care what your motivation is. I do care that we're getting the best result we can get for our clients who come to us at a very vulnerable time um, and they need our help. And so mm-hmm. whether your goal is to maximize your pocket or to change the world, either way will work here because our interests are 100% aligned with our clients. The more they make, the more we make. So we yeah. want them to max out. Well, and that that kind of parallels with uh, with something Aaron told me in the beginning when he and I became friends. Because you've been doing what Motorphilia fifteen years now? Twenty? Well, no, yeah, no, yeah but business is fifteen years. But we've been officially officially fifteen years. We do for twenty plus years. Yeah, and awesome. and he had told me one of the very first things. He's like, uh, I I sell cars to people mostly because I like people. It, it's not so much about the car. It's I know that this is a very personal decision. This is a very, uh, like you said, vulnerable uh, situation that some of these people are in. If I can do a good job for them, you know, that's the world's a better place, you know, <laughs> one thing at a time. Yeah, th- um, this job is a grind like any other job, right? It's got mm-hmm. a lot of moving parts. Um, there's tons of inputs. It's very stressful. Uh, you never know when you're going to trial. You're often preparing for multiples, losing your nights and weekends. Um, so what makes it work? Why do we get out of bed, right? Yes, the money's nice. But once you have some, that doesn't do it anymore. You're getting out of bed because you're helping people. And um, those who don't burn out, they have to find that. And that's what I tell my young associates. Say, look, if you're just about the money, you will burn out. But if you get to where you're helping people, and that's what gets you motivated and moving, this is a very fulfilling job. As uh, one of my my friends has said, is that all we're looking for is a sense of purpose. Right. Right. Some reason that I'm here. And I want to make sure at the end of the day, you leave the world a better place than when you found it. I mean, that's about well, all we can do. I think what you did here today was wonderful. It's going to help a lot of people. Uh, I think people need to be, I think if anything, it kind of, if people hear this podcast helps give some mental preparedness uh, to, uh, to be uh, able to make good decisions and, and the uh, unfortunate event that could happen in their life. Well, I think you guys asked outstanding questions too. So, I mean, it made it go smoothly and it made it much easier for me. So I appreciate both y'all for having me on and um, if I can help ever in the future, you have another topic you want to talk. I'm happy to talk. If you want to do a deeper dive into 18 wheelers or whatever, we can talk about it. I might, I might say it for a different episode where we just talk about it. Cause I, I know that there's, there's probably going to be, we're dealing with more of an influx of, of accidents involving 18 wheelers. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's, uh, that's the deregulation. They're deregulating the industry. Uh, they've got the shortage of drivers. I mean, we deposed a guy in a death case uh, earlier this year, and he was blind in his left eye. Well, let's. He, I would <laughs> like to save this. I I believe the conversations are like balloons. Sometimes, if we let a little air out, then it just so like I want to keep all that in a little ball, and then uh, let's let's save that for maybe a future episode where we start talking about something like that because I think that is a, that's something that we do need to talk about. That's going to be very important going down the road because. That landscape is changing big. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Brent, I really appreciate you. You've done such a wonderful job. Uh, I could not be more grateful for you and, and what you've done, what you've shared, and, uh, and, and the substance of, of, of the information you've brought today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, just for our listeners, especially the ones in the Gulf area, uh, just go ahead and you know give yourself a shout out. How can they get a hold of you yeah. and your firm? 
Absolutely. So obviously we're, my law firm is Abraham Watkins. You can find us online very easily by Googling Abraham Watkins. Uh, you can call me on my direct line if you need me at 713-226-5198. If I'm not available, one of my multiple staff members will pick it up, take your information, and we will be back in touch very swiftly. Um, you know, so the bottom line is we're the oldest firm in Houston. We're not going anywhere, and uh, we're here to help. I'll say one thing to your firm's credit. You are an incredibly attentive firm. You're very responsive. Uh, one of the things I find that people have a hard time with in dealing with attorneys is they feel like they're screaming into a void and then eventually the attorney gets back to them. Uh, you guys seem to be always on top of things and I, I am very impressed with uh, how you guys work. Thank you. Um, it's not easy to juggle all the balls, but but we, mm -hmm. we try to be responsive. Customer service is so important. Okay, one last question on going out. I thought about it while we were doing this. Shaquille O'Neal's favorite insurance company, The General. Hmm. No, yeah, and they're, they're spending their money on Shaq's uh, uh, marketing and advertising uh, income as opposed to on paying claims. Look, they're they're <laughs> one of the bottom rate ones. That, that they, you know that you know that when you're getting when you're paying bottom rate, you're get, you know you get what you pay for. That's the truth. And you'd say, why would I pay ten dollars more? It might be worth it to pay a little more. So when you do cause an accident, you're not getting sued and spending two years in litigation. So you're and saying so, an insurance company's job is to pay the settlement, not buy more marketing. <laughs> That's what it should be, right? <laughs> it should be to protect their insureds, right? That's what it should be about. That's what the, the original idea was. Uh, but we are in a capitalist society, and I totally understand everybody trying to make money. Um, but you, to the consumer out there, you get what you pay for. And right. so you, you get cut rate insurance. I promise you, you're going to get cut rate uh, service. You're going to get a cut rate defense lawyer defending you. I mean, literally the bottom of the barrel uh, defending you when you need help the most. Oh. And they're going to not, they don't care about, you know, they don't care about your business. Hey, I'm losing money. We need to sell this claim. They don't care. Um, well, I am very appreciative of you, Brant. And uh, my gosh, um, you are, you, you guys, I think I, you do offer a top rate service. Uh, you don't have Shaq as your spokesperson, so that's already a good good starting point. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Well, right on. Well, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be in touch again sometime. We'd love to have you on another time. And uh, and if you think of anything that you think may be valuable to us that you, you know, and our listeners, uh, definitely reach out to us, man. Yeah, we'll be very happy. Just send us, if you guys ever have any ideas, we're happy to uh, look at those and uh, make that future episodes. Beautiful. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, you take time. care. You have a great day, Brant. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Aaron. Bye, Bye guys. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Wasn't that awesome? That was great. Thank you, Brant. Seriously. Um, we do, I, I, hopefully we can reach out. We're going to have, uh, have, uh, have Brant or some of his colleagues on in the future for some other episodes. Uh, there are some things happening, uh, in the landscape of the automotive world where honestly understanding the legality of stuff is super important. So I hope you guys like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I just work here, but I, I learned a whole lot. So if you guys have any other ideas for episodes, reach out to us, let us know. Um, you know, there's only so many things we can think of off the cuff, by the way. And uh, mm -hmm. we really are providing the service to inform you about anything automotive related. And uh, that could be anywhere from even the best garage that you could have or yeah. uh, tools you should buy. But if you have an idea, 
bring it to our attention. You can contact us on uh, the Motorphilia podcast at the uh, on the Facebook thing. You could Google Motorphilia podcast and find stuff. You can Google Motorphilia and find anything about Motorphilia. You mm-hmm. can find me, Aaron Manley Smith, or Daniel Poe uh, through Facebook and other medians. And you can just send us a message if you have anything on your mind. Bring it to us. We'd love to talk about it and make it part of an episode. Yeah. Yeah, please do. Uh, Thanks again for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Uh, Yeah, stay tuned. Talk to you then. Motorville Podcast. Blip, blip. Real slow.